Hi, welcome to another episode of The Adoption Files. I'm Andi Stanley, your host, and joining me together uh, today, sorry, together with me today, is Jennifer Trudeau. Jennifer is the founder of Parents Partnership. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, how are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here. And Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I am excited about the new organization that you have started, and I was hoping you could share with the listeners, what is Parents Partnership? Parents Partnership is an organization that is coming to try to step in for vulnerable and single parents so to facilitate their ability to share time and resources to ease some of the struggles that they're going through. Um, vulnerable, we sort of define a little bit loosely by uh, somebody who is in the throes of possibly financial or family struggle, who are faced with crisis decisions, looking at potentially making permanent decisions based on temporary struggles. And so recognizing that, um, most of our target market are uh, unmarried and unpartnered parents, but we also include grandparents, military spouses whose uh, partners are deployed for long periods of time and things. So trying to solve for certain problems that they have and the struggles that they're going through parenting alone um, and trying to apply modern solutions to that problem we have decided to create a website database uh, platform whereby parents can log in uh, and locate each other and find each other in their areas and share resources directly with each other without complicated application processes and wait lists and income disqualifiers and all the things that struggling parents are used to seeing. Um, and just directly partnering with parents, figuring out what do you need, you know what you need, you and I can work together personally and um, and come together. So whether that is emotional support or whether that is support that looks like childcare sharing or sharing rides, uh, roommating if you really are compatible with people that you meet. Uh, and the goal is to save uh, money and time so that you have some quality time back in your family and you can spend that back with your children and your children are also happier as well. Okay, so that sounds like a pretty ambitious goal that you want to accomplish. And so I wanted to just ask a couple questions. Uh, so this is a national or international organization? Yeah, so we're going to be U.S.-based to start. There are different laws in different countries surrounding the support that young women, pregnant women and young mothers get socially. For example, Australia has a lot of safety nets. So we would have to figure out in time where we would fit in as a niche kind of organization in different countries. But so far, we're U.S.-based. So you, we have a landing page now so you can learn about us, but our network is being built by a team of developers who are building Envision like a, like a dating website where you go on and you create a profile about yourself and you upload a few pictures and you have some qualifier markers on your profile that are important to you. Like, for example, if you're a smoker or not, or if you're religious or not, or, you know, whatever is important to you. And you put that into a search criteria and that returns with other people, other parents in your area who match based on, you know, compatibility, like the highest compatibility people will come at the top and so on and so forth. And you can message them directly and you can go meet up for coffee and you can get together with your kids at the playground and just get to know each other. Just like dating, some people may not be so compatible, but then other people might be so more compatible. And you can figure that out for yourself um, and then figure out if you guys like each other and you get along, like what are your needs and what are their needs and how can you resource those together? So it's a big goal, but it's sort of a simple way of achieving it by just facilitating the ability for parents to reach out to each other in a direct way. It's currently not being met on things like social media because of the influx of trolls and bullies and people who, you know, really 
have a lot of fun instigating arguments and things like that. It's not a safe place to be vulnerable. So pulling that off social media and building a website that it is safe for you to be vulnerable and it's moderated and all of that. And you're putting that opportunity back into the parents' hands to figure out how to network. So the big goal becomes pretty straightforward and how we're going to achieve that. Okay, so you bring up a couple of things that I wanted to touch on. And so one is you talked about you can upload photos. Now, I know as a, someone who used to work for a school district for a long time, and as a parent and grandparent myself, my personal advice to people would be that you not post photos of your children to a website that is accessed by strangers so will you have cautions for parents as far as yeah posting photographs of your kids I mean yeah but there are those warnings now on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and everything is flooded with people's children and so you know understanding the risks that are associated with sharing each other personally I almost never share my children online you know but that's my personal preference but you know other parents don't necessarily agree with me and that's okay I don't want to come in and tell you that you can't do or you can't correspond or you can't something um how having said that though like you don't have to put pictures of your kid you could for example say I have three children two girls and a boy and they're all under high school you could be super general about it and then if you and I connect I could privately send you, you could privately send me a picture of your family as we get to know each other. And let's say, hey, let's meet at the playground on Saturday, you know, and we'll of course have those guidelines as well. So for example, if you go to any dating website, they will get all kinds of guidelines for safety about meeting in a public place, not exchanging personal information, letting people know where you're going, um, you know, and all of those things. And so we'll obviously encourage not to meet parents in a dark alley in a strange part of town (laughs) you know (laughs) I wanted to clarify like it's not required that you post pictures of your kids not at all I think it's optional people can yeah because I if you want want to to, I wouldn't want people to hesitate to reach out to an organization because they had concerns about like well you know maybe I don't want to post pictures oh yeah then don't yeah okay yeah then don't sorry and you know like like you my teacher brain going where (laughs) Yeah, no. And we thought a lot about that. Like, I don't want to, people have asked me about, well, what if non-parents log into your website? And what if, you know, they're, I don't know, married couples log into the website, you know, and it's not for me to tell you who to talk to and what arrangement you should be making. So if if somebody logs in and you choose to talk to them, like that's on you. I Our website will provide lots of guidance for safety rules, but there will be an element of personal responsibility. And if you find yourself in an arrangement with some sweet old lady down the road who wants to help babysit your kids, but she doesn't have kids at home and she just happened to log in, you know, that's on you. You know, that's a great if that's what you want to do. So I don't want to put barriers on who can log in. And what service they can receive. We're not here to provide services. We're here to facilitate the ability for you to communicate with others. Okay. Because that was my yeah. next question is, do you provide resources yourselves or are you looking to help people create a network where the people work together to provide resources to one another? Right. So we do not provide resources. And we thought about this. There are a lot of organizations and charities out there across the country that are working hard to provide for the needs of people, whether that's food, emergency baby supplies, there is funding for housing, domestic violence shelters, there's postpartum networks, there's legal help, educational help, all these different things. So what we want to do, similar to other family preservation networks out there, is to have a library of resources on the website um, based on location and category where you can find organizations in your area that are serving those urgent needs. So for example, if you're in the throes of postpartum, you know, uh, mood issues and you don't know what to do, you can see on our website, there are international 
US-based and local-based organizations that have hotlines, you can call them. We don't need to provide a postpartum counselor because there's already those services out there. But also, and that's just a library of resources, but the main part is to provide you the network to directly access other parents who get what you're going through. So it's not like posting on Facebook saying, you know, here's my struggle and and whatever. Does somebody want to find a roommate? Because the amount of crazy people that are going to come after you when you do that uh, can be quite overwhelming. This is to say, here is a dedicated network of people who match you based on criteria that you care about. So you care about different criteria than I would. For example, again, like smoking. Um, and putting you in touch directly with those people who are compatible and figuring out how can you and I network together. If you work in the morning and I work in the evening, we can watch each other's children. If we really get along well, we can potentially cut up an apartment together and really save a ton of money on rent and bills and food. Um, you know, there's lots of different opportunities for ride sharing. There's um, a lot of opportunities to just being able to put a, a social support network. So not just you would I partner with, but I could partner with three or four other moms. All of our kids get along. We have similar lifestyles, you know, and having a supportive network of people who get it. When you have that supportive network, all of a sudden, the struggles that you're going through, because you will still have them, but they don't seem so huge. Yeah. You have people there who get it, who are going through similar things and being able to partner together, like two heads struggling together is better than one and three is better than that and, and so on and so forth. We thought a lot about why we would go this way and not, for example, lobby legislation or start another food uh, food bank or something like that. And there's so many limits to organizations and charities, uh, financial reasons, wait list uh, places are full um, or they've run out of services for the year. There are governmental issues with applications and denials and income limits and things like that, like this removes all those barriers. And we can just figure out how we can help each other on our own together. Uh, I've experienced it so many times as a mom trying to sort out a problem and you have not much stuff and this mom has not much stuff and you put it together and all of a sudden like you've made this really cool little scene together and the kids are happy and you know and it works and that happens over and over in the lives of people um in parenthood and if we can bring the struggle together and struggle together it's just easier so i think there's a lot of isolation that occurs, especially with, you know, maybe a pregnant person in need or a young parent who's on their own, or as you said, I've, I've been a military spouse with a deployed husband trying to raise kids. I know how difficult those things can be, and we don't tend to stay in one area surrounded by family the way that people did maybe a hundred years ago you know pretty much prior to world war one even people tended to stay in the same areas everybody knew each other you had extended family i even if you didn't necessarily get along with everyone you still had yeah. more resources available to you as far as people you could call and say i need a ride or I, I'm looking for somebody to help me figure out how to put a piece of furniture together, like a bunk beds. I need to put bunk beds together for my kids. I, you know, or baby clothes. You know, there are so many different things that we used to be able to kind of network within the community that we had grown up in. The people move around so much now and life is a lot I, expensive. <laughs> and online has been a blessing and a curse because 
it brings us so much information and a lot of opportunities to connect with other people we wouldn't have been able to before, but it also isolates us and people are stuck online. And I think part of that, I don't know how much, but some of it has contributed to the toxic nature of our culture that says that you get to struggle alone, you know? And so people are used to being isolated um, anyway. And so I think that there's some familiarity in that. And, you know, the longer we go and everybody's on a phone and nobody's actually directly connecting, you know, and, you know, there's just a different energy when you're sitting in the same room with somebody who's experiencing emotions versus texting them, you know, and so it's gotten away from us a little bit, but that's our world. And so how do we, apply the modern world that we live in to the problem of not being connected and to being isolated. And so that's why we were like, well, why are we not just pairing moms up and parents up? You know, it's not, it's not just moms. I say moms. Um, and I just want to clarify that our target market uh, ends up being moms. There's some 15 million single parents in the United States. 80% of them are mothers, 20% are fathers, but I don't want to overlook them in my conversation and other parenting situations. Um, you know, my dad was a single father for a while. And so I want to honor the struggle of everybody, but in quickly talking about it, I say moms a lot, but I don't mean to exclude anybody in that. I just want to say that. Oh, well, um, I appreciate that. And I think too, you and I have discussed the fact that we also live in a culture that increasingly sees grandparents mm -hmm. and often single grandparents also yep. struggling to raise grandchildren or other extended family members because of different circumstances. So right. I understand it's moms is kind of the shorthand, but I'm, I'm glad that you clarify because there are, you know, other people out there who are struggling to find resources and want. Well, I think the statistic is there's 7 million grandparents that are raising their grandparents, you know, depending on the study that you look at. But when I was doing the research, that's the number I think that I pulled was 7 million. And that's a lot. That's a lot. And wouldn't it be nice even if you're not financially struggling, like there are people, plenty of people out there who are not financially struggling, but they are struggling under the weight and the burden of having the responsibility of raising this child and making sure that they eat and that they have personal hygiene and that their laundry is done and they don't forget to brush their teeth and you have to help them with homework. You have to answer questions about life and violence and sex and all these other things. You're responsible for their moral path. You're, and you haven't even taken a shower yet, you know, for the day. And it's a, it's a lot. So wouldn't it be awesome knowing that there is a network of other people who are in the same boat and get it. So if it's just somebody you have to talk to like a dedicated network of people you can talk to who uniquely understand that struggle like that is an amazing thing so we're really excited to be in the middle of building that for all of all of the, everybody struggling yeah and i think it's really it is really exciting because you will find in some areas local organizations that try to provide these kinds of network opportunities but they're very local in nature as far as in-person contact goes, like, as you said, there's quite a bit online, but it doesn't have the same immediacy and the same intimacy that being able to just call someone up and say, hey, my boss asked me to stay for two extra hours at work today. Could you maybe pick my son up when you get your child from daycare and I'll swing by and pick him up when I get off of work? You know, there's there's something that's very vital about having those uh, opportunities to be able to do that. And I, you know, I think it's great because having a more national footprint gives people more opportunities to do that. And well, the idea is for you to be able to relocate. If you need to relocate and you're going to go somewhere else because your husband is deploying somewhere because a job opportunity came or because you just need to blow this popsicle stand and go somewhere else, you know, like you should be able to log into the network, change your zip code and look for other parents and other organizations in the area that you want to go to and network. That way you can have yourself a safety net set up for you when you get there and you don't have to scramble 
once you get there to find out what you're available for. That's the thing, like for a lot of social services, you're not eligible for things or for organizational support until you're actually there. So if you can line those things up before you go, you know, that would be amazing. So that's the idea. Yeah, no, that's a very good point because I know people who end up getting trapped in a less than, than optimal situation where they might be able to get a better job and be able to be better off in another area, but they can't qualify for health insurance and housing assistance and things like that until they've been there for six mm -hmm. months or a year and they can't sustain that. And so they end up having to stay, you know, in a, le in a lower paid job or in an area where they don't feel safe or in a school district where they feel like their children aren't getting the services that they need. And it is a problem for people. So that mm -hmm. is great. And I know one thing that we used to do, I used to be uh, the president of a child care providers association. And mm -hmm. one of the nice things we did because it was through the military was that when someone moved onto the base, I was able to provide them with, these are the safe parks to take your kids to. This is the best place to buy formula. This is a consignment shop where you can take your kids clothes and exchange them for, you know, larger sizes. If you want to do that, you know, we could give people information about those things because sometimes it does come down to something as simple as which park can I take my kids to and feel safe going there right yeah. right yeah yeah and having a network of people um who would know that especially in the newer areas is you know it's optimal so yeah so a, a lot went into trying to figure out like how to best put it in the hands of parents because you know best what you need, you know what your circumstances are, what you're comfortable with. Like I, I've seen like a lot of different uh, governmental help, especially where it's like you have three menus of options to choose from and none of them really work for you. So you're just going to pick the lesser of the evils and that's the option you're going to go with. And then you go to apply and maybe you don't get everything that you applied for and or maybe you get denied altogether, or maybe there was a hiccup with the application fee and you have to reapply and now you have to travel across town and you have to take off work and you don't have the gas money and all the things. There's so many dominoes people don't understand and barriers to that come up that prevent people from easy paths to success. But again, like if, if we're all in that boat, they're not all, there's so many of us in the boat why are we doing this together then right like why are we just struggling alone and and I've used the analogy I feel like sometimes we're all these little boats in this vast ocean of struggle and I see you I see your struggle I know that you're bailing water out of your boat but I'm too far away I cannot help you you're on your own and I'm on my own and if we had like a, a rope to throw and we could all bring these boats together, like the waves are still going to come and they're still going to crash us, but we can do this together and it would be so much easier to brace those waves together. So it's not, we're not going to reduce all the struggles, but we're just trying to provide the opportunity that parents can lift each other up and hold each other above those waves. So how did you become motivated to engage in this kind of work? Well, it's sort of a two-part story. Um, the idea came to me a couple of years ago, actually, uh, when Roe versus Wade was overturned and changed and the political arguments surrounding pro-life and pro-choice began to really disgust me because nobody seemed to be in favor of like the best interest of actual children who are caught up in these arguments and also like why the trauma is there, which is usually because these parents are not supported. And there's like this huge population of people who are making decisions about pregnancies and their families 
that they wouldn't make if they otherwise had support. You know, and I talked to um, another friend of mine who had an abortion because she felt like she had too many kids and nobody would want her and she wouldn't be able to take care of it. And she's like, doesn't want to do this, but what is she going to do? I've talked to other mothers who were totally shamed by their single motherhood. It's not like they asked, but it's like bad things happen. You know, that one of my friends, her husband died, you know, like she didn't ask for that. You know, it's not like these are the beds that we lie in and you get told these narratives over and over. You, this, you should have thought about that. This is what you get. That's your bed. You should lie in it. And I'm like, this is not doing anything for anybody. And I can't get caught up in arguments preformed for me with prescribed right answers uh, about how and what women should do and, and whatnot. All I know is that women are making crisis-based decisions and it's really screwing us up. Families are being robbed of opportunities because they're not, they don't have resources you look around and you find these resourceless people and their children are suffering. And how can we actually look at ourselves in the face and say that we care so deeply about children in this country? If we cared so deeply about them, like we need to care about their parents. So how do we do that? Because we can't depend on these idiot politicians who largely created a lot of the problems that we experience now. It's a lot of bad policy can't depend on them to solve all these problems um like we already see the solutions they're offering us and they're not good um they help some people but they're not great um private organizations and private charities are taxed people are really hurting and suffering and you know it's really difficult to find certain services I know our organization is helping a mom right now who is in her first trimester of pregnancy and facing homelessness. Finding emergency housing for this woman has been impossible. And she's currently staying with somebody we know who is safe um, because she has nowhere else to go. This is just terrible. Like, what are we doing? And then we claim to care about children so much. So how do we solve for this? So with this idea rolling around in my head, and, and watching videos on TikTok and Instagram and all about moms who joke about dating each other and having sister wives and things like that. And I'm like, that is the answer. We know it's the answer, right? But how do you make that happen? And it just sort of is coming to me. Like, what if we had like a website that actually matched us up based on compatibility, right? Because there's plenty of wonderful women out there, but they don't like me for <laughs> Because we don't get along, you know, like we're just different people It's nothing personal, but we don't jive. But there's lots of moms that I do get along with and we do jive. So how do you, but I don't know where they live and I, I see them sometimes and how do we put them together? <clears throat> there's lots of efforts to have community gatherings at things like church and, um, you know, sports or, or educational, like at colleges and things like that. But it really puts a barrier, especially to people who are already financially struggling to afford gas money, to get to places and the anxiety of showing up socially to places you don't know with a group of people and you're the new face and it, it's a lot. And so just trying to think about how to put the control in people's hands and dating websites are so popular. You know, there's so many iterations, there's so many different ones to go find a network and people are also very used to that. Um, it, like when I was growing up before the internet, uh, there was, it was unheard of to meet people online. Like you were a blooming idiot if you would go meet somebody online, like, right? Yeah, and I'm but that generation, so it's super <laughs> weird to me too. And I'm right? trying to like move forward with my thinking there. But so many people do. And I have met so many people, especially like we homeschool our younger children. So many of these moms I meet up with online and then we end up meeting up in real life. It's really a common thing now. So it just seemed to be intuitively the answer. So I've been sitting on it for some time. Um, and then, you know, uh, I am a mother of loss to adoption and have been struggling with trying to 
figure out how to reconnect with my daughter who is an adult and it did not go very well. I attempted to directly message her on LinkedIn and um, I didn't hear anything back from her. A friend of mine who's a search angel was attempting to try to facilitate contact thinking that, you know, as a mediator, she might be able to reopen the adoption and maybe talk to the family or something. And I don't know, facilitate some sort of conversation. So anyway, um, I was received very poorly and the adoptive mother sent me a very, very cruel message um, because I wanted to try to contact my 23 year old daughter and it really leveled me. I wasn't expecting that based on certainly the promises and things that were made when I was pregnant uh, many years ago. And um, I realized that, you know, I was already out of the fog, but it was like, I, it's really ugly and bad. And I was hoping that it wouldn't also be my fate that this would happen. Although I've watched so many other first mothers go through the same thing, but you always hope that it's not gonna happen to you. And it, I'm just like, this can't be how it is anymore. I can't continue to go to church. I can't continue to walk around thinking mostly pro-life and pro-family things and understanding the trauma of adoption and understanding all these things like this can't, like we can't do this anymore. And you know what? Like this is, this is bullshit. I would never have been in the position I was 23 years ago if this website existed back then. There wasn't the internet back then. It is what it is. And that's the case for millions of women. But right now there is the internet. And there are a lot of women out there who would not be stuck making decisions and being coerced into decisions that they wouldn't have had to make. They just had support. So how do we bring this to them? And, and, and are they worth it? Of course they are. Are their babies amazing? Of course they are. So why wouldn't we do this? This is a very easy answer to me. Um, and it's very helpful to me to try to navigate my own personal situation. Like I don't wanna get lost in depression and, and sadness over the expectations that I thought that were gonna happen that aren't, aren't. And, um, and just how ugly they have turned into. I can, emotionally withdraw from my children and not be present for my husband and my marriage. You know, I can do that and understandably so. And many people would understand if I did that, but I've worked really hard to have a good marriage and a close family. And I, it, this is not how we do things. This is not how we do things. I can't sit by. There are so many other situations that I'm aware of out there that are happening similar to mine. It's 23 years later. It is still standard operating procedure. Knowing that I wasn't special, what happened to me? Like you think like when a bad thing happens to you, like if you're mugged or something, like there's some personal aspect to it, you know, like you were targeted for some like special reason or something, right? But there was nothing special about it. I was just the next one in line. And there are millions and millions who are just the next one in line. There was nothing special at all about them. Um, it was a weird thing to also come to realize. And it's like, but that's, I don't believe that. I do believe that there's something special about all of us and they deserve help and support. So I'm creating the website. I know a lot of people. We've got a great networking team. We have an amazing developer I need some money to fund it. We can do this. We can totally do this. So we're doing it. So a lot of us go into advocacy work because of personal experiences. And I, I believe it's a way to empower ourselves in the process of also helping to empower others. And it can be a way to bring some kind of positive meaning out of an incredibly painful experience in our lives. And we can take some solace in feeling like we've 
helped someone else to avoid going through a similar kind of pain. So it sounds to me like this is a path for you in some ways to that empowerment and to that feeling that you're helping others to not have to go through what you've, not just what you've been through, but what you continue to experience and something that doesn't just impact you, but also your other children. Mm -hmm. And how has that been for you? Do you feel like this is helpful in managing the depression and the pain that goes along with what you've been through? I think so. It's an emotional roller coaster for sure. Um, reading stories of trauma and talking to people about their situations and what they're going through. It's emotional, you know, but um, I also feel very honored to be able to show up for some people, you know, uh, when they don't have others. I know what that's like to not have people to show up for you. So it's, it's a heavy load, but it's a blessing to me. I try to, I try to be careful about how I, I phrase the experience. You know, I don't want to feel like for the lack of a better term, like too bubblegummy about taking my personal tragedy and turning it, you know, turning life's lemons into lemonade, so to speak, you know, like, oh, like I've had people tell me, oh, well, you were meant to go through this so that you could be able to help other people in the future. And yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's no, too no, no. fate you know, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody asked for that trauma, but it is, it is healing, you know, because like part of what I'm doing is helping people to resource with each other. I'm just facilitating the effort. And that's something that I did not have watching other people be able to have that and the potential to have that makes you feel awesome, you know? And so that is helpful. Also knowing that the lack of information that I had back then. So like, there's like almost no informed consent in modern adoption, if you think about it, because of the lack of information, right? If you're not fully informed, is it really consent? Um, certainly everybody would agree on that if we were all buying houses, you know, the lack of information about something would necessarily void a contract, right? But when we're talking about adoptions and the coercion of young mothers, it's standard operating procedure and being able to supply that information, not just the information, but the practical real life support network that I didn't have and so many others didn't have is it's empowering. It's empowering a little bit um, and humbling. Like it's too late for me and that's fine. Um, but it's not too late for a lot of other people. I feel very, um, I take it very seriously that I'm leading the effort on that and trying to really not make it about me um, it came from my loss, like the idea and my motivation comes from the drive from my personal experience. But I deeply, genuinely care about parents that I have never met and their relationships with their children and the ability to preserve those relationships and those families so that they don't go through those same things. I think it's just a crime. What I went through wasn't special, right? Like I said, it was standard operating procedure, but it's still terrible and it's a crime. And um, other people should not feel compelled to go down similar paths just because they lack resources. So, yeah. And I hope it didn't sound, I, I certainly don't want you or the listeners to think that this was a, but aren't you glad that you went through that because now you can help other people because that is such a diminishing and demeaning and belittling conversation. If none of us had to experience an unnecessary trauma, then there would not be other people who need the help and we wouldn't be in this position. 
it's not I, I find yeah, no, and I didn't take you that way. So yeah, but I do think that it is healing and it is part of the human experience to see you in your struggle and be like, hey, you know what? Like, I'm going to come sit with you in that and I'm going to share that. And I don't need to understand exactly what it feels like to be it, you, but I do see you and what you're going through. And I do understand that you're going through it and I'm going to sit with you with that. And I think that that human connection is is missing for a lot of people and the ability to facilitate that also conveys the value that we have for each other because I'm not sure how much we value each other. And if we see that value in ourselves and then we can see that value in other people and it makes us more inspired to stand in and help each other. And um, yeah, yeah, empathy is a necessary ingredient of the survival of humanity. And if we can't have empathy for one another, we're just not gonna make it. And how we express that empathy may be guided by the experiences we've had in our own life, but the necessary quality is that empathy. And that, that has to exist before you can do anything, you know, positive with, the experiences that you've been through. And so, you know, when, when people say to us, oh, well, you know, but you're stronger for your trauma. I, I just think that's just a shortcut for, I'm uncomfortable talking to you about this and I want you to be quiet. So I'm just going to congratulate you on how strong you are. Uh, People have also, they say things like, oh, but, you know, you made the right decision. You know, that was the best thing. And I'm like, do you realize what a backhanded compliment that was that you just like, was my baby really better off? Like, did I suck that bad? You, you know, like, I, I don't, people say things about these scenarios and situation that sound good to them when it's coming out of their mouth. And they're pleased with themselves because you're right. Like they feel uncomfortable with the topic and they kind of want to get out of it now. So, you know, understanding that that's fine, but I think empathy is key. It indicates a, a little bit of a level of maturity as a society, whether or not we are an empathetic society and the ability for me personally, so me personally, and I don't mean to diminish anybody by saying this either, but for me personally, I know that, like I listen to a lot of Jordan Peterson and he talks about how miserable and depressed and terrible you can become because you are focusing on yourself. That's not to say that you don't obviously have your problems and you think about your problems, but when you're hyper-focused and one of the best ways to get out of your own way on that is to, you know, be focusing on others and being there for others. And so I find the charitable effort in this regard to be very helpful for me, you know, um, to get out and to not be mired in, again, the loss of the expectation that I thought was supposed to happen that is not going to happen and I'm not quite sure what will but what I thought is not going to happen there's nothing I'm going to do about that but I can make it easier on myself by helping someone else not fall down the same path I fell down so um yeah I find it it can be it it, it takes a while to get there and I want to be sensitive to anybody listening who is in the throes of something right now, it took a really long time for me to come to this because I think for a long time I was pissed off thinking this is not what I negotiated with God. I would rather have not had this experience. I don't want to show up for other people. I, I, I don't want to be that one. I don't care. I have enough of my own things on my own plate. And, um, you know, I think I held on to that for a little while. Um, but I think that the catalyst for the change in that thinking was being so horribly slapped by the adoptive mother and her message to me 
waking me up to the fact that, you know what, like, whether or not I like it, this is the lot. Th these are the cards that I've been dealt. So it doesn't matter that you went through that thing and you don't want to be that survivor for someone else. And you don't care about the inspirational BS that you see in memes on Facebook like that. Okay. But at some point, I know for me, it was like, well, these are the cards that you dealt, Jen, and you're going to have to figure out how to play them. And so this is how I've played them is I start to see a change. I am scorched earth. I'm very mad about my own personal circumstance, but I'm equally mad about the personal circumstances of so many others who would not be in the struggles and the throes that they are in uh, if they had the support that they deserve. So, yeah. And yeah. I think that we should all be outraged by what is happening around us in our culture when it comes to uh, the devaluation of certain people in favor of other people. And there is this pervasive idea in our culture that only certain people deserve to have children and only certain people deserve to have um, to be parents. And yes. And that we should all somehow honor and support those people who we find deserving and that it's okay to not show up for the, for the others. And so much of that is based on financial means. And, you know, I'm sorry, but there are a lot of really shitty people out there who have money so just because you are not lying, I'm going to tell you, like, I got a huge culture shock on that, too. So I grew up in Oklahoma and in Tulsa and basically like Tulsa is like the biggest small town, like everybody talks to you like they know you or they know somebody related to you and they're probably going to run into you again at some point. So they're just nice to you, you know, and they will talk to you like they know you. They never saw you before in their life. And it doesn't matter if you're wearing designer clothes, it doesn't matter if you're coming in with some cutoff jeans and some flip flops, like people are just nice and they talk to you. And so I was used to that. When I moved up to Connecticut, I met some of the snobbiest, dumbest. Oh my goodness. And these people had like, no, I'm telling you like not smart. Like I met a vice president who literally didn't know how to change his tire um, and was stuck in a parking garage because he didn't know that the lug nuts had a locking nut and he had the iron in his car. It was like the Michael Douglas movie. I couldn't believe I was watching this, but anyway, and, and he was making six figures a year and he didn't know how to change his time. Anyway, no offense to that guy, but it, it was astounding to me. Some of these people well, were downright nasty. Call him dumb. So I think that. No, nah, well, that, that in and of itself, like he was pretty smart at what he did at his job, but that in and of itself was not his smartest moment. But uh, like, I, I really felt like the character of people, um, I was confronted with a lot of icky cutthroat, like in work, I was in real estate for a little while, people are just disgusting the way that they treat each other over chasing their money. I was really culturally shocked about that. So it defies logic to me that people think that the deserving people are the ones who can afford the transaction as if they are not, as if they're like the ethics, their level of ethics and morality and their good person scale is directly attached to their bank account. You know, it's, it, I, I'm really often astounded by that assumption. Yeah. It's, it's alarming to see and it's very prevalent in the building a family narrative so when you talk about loss to adoption, basically what that is in most cases is the transfer of a person from someone who is not as financially well off to somebody who's more financially well off. And somehow that difference in means indicates some sort of higher ethical standing of the person with with money and that's just not true and as a culture 
you know, we need to address the fact that if we want to survive as a culture, as a species, we need to have a healthy population. And that health is not determined by how much money you have in your bank account. I mean, yes, you might have better access to health insurance and things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I just mean like our ability to function as a society depends on all of our members, not just some small group of them that considers themselves somehow above everyone else. Well, and when you think about it like that, like the qualifying marker is that then wouldn't it be true that most of us then should give our children away because there's always somebody who's wealthier than us. Yeah. So like I live in a traditional neighborhood full of three bedroom houses, two bathrooms, you know, 12 to 1600 square foot homes, right? I live in middle America. There are so many people who are so much wealthier than us. Shouldn't we just give our children to those because they're better than us because they're wealthy and they can afford, you know, Disney vacations and they can afford huge houses with luxury cars with premium health insurance packages, not just Medicaid, right? They can afford big family reunions. They can afford private schools. They can afford the best of the best. They can afford college tuition and all these things. So shouldn't we all be giving our children to the, to the, you know what I mean? Like that's oh, like yeah. this, this slippery slope that you go down can get really gross. And well, and so if the, why are we, go ahead. Yeah. if the idea that those things also guarantee a better, kinder, more empathic, more capable, more generous person, then all we have to do is look at some of the people who are the products of those environments to see that, no, that does not guarantee that you will have a good work ethic. It does not guarantee that you will be a nice person. It does not guarantee that you will contribute positively to your community. It does not guarantee that you won't be sexist, homophobic. Right. It's, I don't understand. So we talk about the, the opposites in our country, how people will say one thing and, and the opposite in the same, in the same day. So all these wealthy people are so much better because of whatever, but then we have shows like the real housewives of whatever County and we see these amazingly wealthy people who cheat on each other. They throw food at each other in restaurants. They um, are like children themselves, that the children that they're raising are largely raised by nannies and neglected and they're showpieces and there's all kinds of dysfunction. Uh, there's divorce, there's alcoholism, there's gambling, there's all these horrible issues. It, your financial status doesn't preclude you from being a human and engaging in human behaviors, especially being terrible to other people. But when it comes to the realm of parenting, it's like the default bad mark is not your toxic level and the fact that you cheated on your last husband and all of these things. It's the fact that you have money. So if you can't afford your kids, like you're done, like you're unfit, you're unfit. And that is the narrative we've been telling women in this country for a really long time, especially during the fifties and sixties before birth control, during the baby scoop era, uh, how terrible these women were because they had no money and they had no prospects and being unmarried and all of these things. And Carrying that through decades up to now, these same narratives about not being good enough and not being wealthy and not being married or being too young and undereducated, you're just not good enough. And here is the measure, here's the metric, and this is the good enough me metric. And so that is the branch of people that get to have families and we'll look at their kids and we'll think they're cute and we'll thumbs up on their Instagram photos and all of that, right? That's the socially acceptable, the Norman Rockwell America picture. Um, 
And I just don't ever understand it's form over substance to me. I, it, it really bothers me personally to think that this is our legacy as a country is that this is how we treat mothers and babies. Um, well, and it's reflected in your statistics, the unreality of it, because in the statistics you give about how many single mothers or single parents there are in this country, the statistics that exist about how many I grandparents there are raising grandchildren, the statistics that exist that show how many, you know, before before the war and, you know, ended in Afghanistan, how many military spouses were basically raising children on their own, the, the statistics about homelessness and how many children out, are at risk of going hungry every day are at risk of being homeless every day, the housing crisis that exists in this country, the people who are underemployed, who might be working, people who might be working 60 hours a week and still can't afford housing because of the problems that we're confronting, the, uh, the number of children that qualify for free lunches at schools, I. Uh, just the um, the under vaccination that has occurred among children because of lack of access to um, insurance and medical care, the dental crisis that's going on among children in this country because of lack of access to dental care, the uh, the lack of access to reproductive health care that exists and the lack of comprehensive sex education that could help prevent, you know, unwanted pregnancies. There's so many problems that show up in statistics that we ignore because we continue to believe in this fantasy that if just, if just people who deserved it, who had the money and the morals or whatever and the means to have children, then you know this wouldn't exist. That's that's a falsehood. It's just mm -hmm. it's just a fantasy. So there's a great need for organizations that connect people with one another and that can help people. Uh, grassroots organizations, like you're saying, that bypass these uh, term limits and income limits and time limits and things that exist. Those are important organizations. And, you know, before we close today, is there anything that you would like to leave listeners with? Like something that you really want to make sure is conveyed before we end today? I think what I want to convey is that we have a culture that kicks people while they're down, that says that you should have thought about that. And now you're, you know, lying in the bed that you've made. Um, and that hurts all of us. And like, we can do better than that. People are struggling a lot of the times, maybe they haven't made the smartest decision. Maybe they don't have options or information. A lot of the times they're struggling through no fault of their own. It is what it is, but we are better for it um, to help each other out. Um, not really, I mean, irrespective of whatever religion you are or what your spirituality is, like we're called to step in for our fellow people. Um, you're better off for that. And we have a large narrative that says that we care so much about children, whether that is political messaging or advertising for whatever commercial product. It's all about the kids. It's about the kids and the kids and the kids. Um, if we care so much about the kids, we've got to care about their parents. Children will be just fine if the parents are okay. If the parents are supported and they have their needs met. I'm not talking about drastic situations and I don't like people throwing in the, you know, proverbial addicted parents and things like that. I'm talking about normal everyday people 
children want their parents to be healthy and happy. Um, children will thrive so much better if their parents have support that they need and they can largely get that from each other. Um, policy in this country just isn't going to give it to them. We can do this together. We can come in together. We can struggle together and we will benefit so greatly from that together and our kids will be happier because of it. And I really think that people you need to ask themselves if they care so much about children, like, are you caring about their parents then? Because those kids, they don't care about your good intentions. They care about their parents. So we need to care about their parents too. So that's, yeah, that's our mission. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing with me today. And thank you to the listeners for uh, listening to the podcast. So thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. And have a great afternoon. Yeah, you too. And everybody out there.